everybody welcome to white wellness today is may 24th 2022 broadcasting out of new york for white wellness radio that song right there was lana del rey with in my feelings way back in 2017 the topic 
for this week's Light Wellness is Sexuality as Medicine. Interesting topic, something I've talked about, of course, before on the broadcast, but really expanding this time for this episode of the broadcast and seeing it more as a form of medicine. Because things that aren't medicine essentially are antithetical and harmful to us, right? And of course, we live in this society where sexuality is the furthest thing from being medicinal or sacred. It's actually the opposite. And it's celebrated as a good thing when it really leaves a lot of people wanting for more, thinking something's wrong with them, with trauma. So today we're going to look at sexuality through the lens of medicine. And we have a lot of interesting topics to cover, information about one's moon cycle, because of course how our hormones are aligned, even if we're no longer cycling, is very important to you know how our feelings are about sex and sexuality. We're going to be talking about ojas, which is an Ayurvedic term talking about um, vitality or what, you know, some people might refer to as like a vril or a prana or a chi. A lot of great stuff. And I also put out a little thing on Telegram about a week or two ago and got some great questions. I think a lot of us really want to tap in to our sexuality, but we don't want to be, you know, zyodegenerates. And then oftentimes we get some of these mixed messages kind of from within the quote movement about sexuality, which I think are really coming from a very Christian kind of, you know, lens, which I don't think really helps us at all. So just to start off the show, like we usually like to do the word of the week or the word of every two weeks. Let's pick a word. Let's see what it might be. Okay, this is a weird one. Smell feast. And the word feast has a E at the end. So it's F-E-A-S-T-E. Smell hyphen feast. Mannerless belly god or a glutton of the period between 1540 and 1700 who appeared uninvited to share in a feast. Books of etiquette were first published in the 13th century in an effort to eliminate such boorish types of dining behavior as this. Partially gnawed bones, the book recommended, should be thrown on the floor, not put back on the serving platter. They also discourage scratching fleas, lice, or one's groin at the table, as well as slaughtering to make the making of snorting animal-like sounds whilst chewing. Wow, the people actually have to be told not to scratch their groin at the table or make snorting noises, but maybe this was a time, a different time in history. And now this just sounds so removed, the idea that people would have partially gnawed bones at the end of their meal. We live in this sterile kind of boneless, bloodless culture. Maybe not at the tab of the household where I can just think about a couple of days ago when I put my plate down and I had two big bones left on my plate. I had eaten the marrow out of a bone. So I had the marrow bone and then I had eaten this like little venison tomahawk steak. So I had this like very large um, bone, like it's kind of like curved, but thin, long bone. So that's what was left on my plate. Of course, I wasn't snorting or scratching my groin at the table, but just the whole idea of partially gnawed bones and throwing them on the floor. It's just kind of a, a time, a time capsule moment, if you will, although it really shouldn't be because that's how we really should be eating. But never the word, nevertheless, the word is smell feast. So this was just a glutton and just someone who was, um, without manners, I guess. And I think we live in a society nowadays where I've noticed, maybe some of you have noticed this too, that some of the the younger 
crew like doesn't even hold the door open for you anymore like back in the day people would like hold the door for you you know especially if you had packages or you know had a cane or had a child you know now oftentimes the door just gets slammed in your face I mean I think like etiquette in general has been kind of kind of lost and that's one of many of the downsides of a, of a mixed race society but I think it's oftentimes more than that I think it's just a mannerless society and a society that just sees everything as um, disposable and not inherent. But nevertheless, the word of the week or every two weeks is uh, smell feast. This is someone who you would not want to invite over to dinner. This is someone who would be a glutton and just have uh, ill manners. All right. So one thing I just wanted to mention before I get into all the stuff for this this week is this ridiculous uh, monkey pox thing. Obvious, this is a hollow hoax. Obviously, just like anything that the Big Z puts out is a hollow hoax. And I was also thinking about just the idea of calling it monkey pox. Like a lot of the jokes are writing themselves, I will say that. And of course, there are many people, you know, in the quote movement who have these, you know, racialist uh, beliefs who are lapping this up, thinking it's real, uh, making all different types of, you know, racial jokes associated with the monkeypox. Like I said, these jokes are writing themselves. But what's interesting is that they've been putting uh, simian, simian DNA and DNA from other races and, and species. Of course, you could say that anyone who has simians as an ancestor would be a different species. They've been putting this DNA into vaccination for years. So, I mean, technically, if you have those vaccination, vaccinations, wouldn't you already be part monkey or part something else? So now they're hoaxing us out with this whole monkeypox thing. And supposedly back in 2003, of course, this is going back about 19 years, that's what Ebola was back in... I remember back when that was like a thing, like back in 2003, I remember being at this restaurant in Brooklyn, this Ethiopian restaurant, where, of course, you know, Ethiopia is a country in Africa, like the whole staff was was African. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, African-American, like, you know, off the boat African. I remember being there with like one of my friends and her being totally afraid that we were going to get Ebola from the food. And I was like, no, we're not. I'm like, it's not even a thing. So even before I was like aware of the things I know nowadays, I, I never really feared this type of stuff. It's just kind of it always seemed like so comic book sensational, if you know what I mean by that. Then I was also thinking about this too, with all this Ziocrud talk of the metaverse and all these things that can exist, not really in a tangible sense, but in more of kind of an etheric or metaphysical or metaversical sense, believing in their psyops, especially when they're super far-fetched and just completely and totally ridiculous and inane like this monkeypox thing, Monkeypox is metaverse, essentially. So this belief is part of the metaverse. Even spending any more time than I'm doing right now, I'm just doing this just in case anybody was in the fog, the zog fog, if this was like a legit thing, it's not a legit thing, that this puts us out of reality. When we give lip service to their Zio Sludge, whether it's lip service to be like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, all these other races are getting monkeypox. This is amazing. Like, let's wipe them out, like, which is ridiculous anyway, because why why operate at that low vitrolic state and why promote and confirm Big Z's theory of, of germs? This doesn't make any sense to me. But when we spend time, even if we're debunking things over and over and over again, and yeah, I know I did this last year, did over like a hundred shows talking about Oyed AI, but in a way, when we keep on thrusting ourselves into this place 
where we have to totally debunk what Big Z is doing, it puts us out of reality, right? I mean, shouldn't the purpose nowadays really be, shouldn't the medicine really be to put ourselves back into a place of reality, to root, to ascend back into the earth that we were talking about on the last live show, Radical Resistance, how we don't want to really ascend, we want to ascend and root into the earth. So the more we discuss all these Zio sludge ideas like monkeypox or whatever, whatever crud they're slinging at us the next week, it puts us out of reality, right? It puts us into this space, this liminal space between reality and Talmudic fantasy where we have to keep on debunking that these things are actually not real. Like even with the whole PSYOP of Oyed AI, even if you knew it was a hollow hoax, you were gaslit everywhere you go. I mean, it's still kind of like that. You're gaslit by the signs of, you know, stopping the spread. You're gaslit every time you see someone wearing the Zio costume. And I think ultimately with this monkeypox thing, it's not only a way to kind of get us into the metaverse by discussing things that aren't part of reality, which, you know, the Talmudicists love that. And of course, we live in a post-truth world right? So wouldn't it behoove them to kind of like promote all these ideas that kind of shift the consciousness out of reality? I think also this is this whole thing is a cover-up for people who have been damaged by the OEDAI vaccination. It could be a way to sell more vaccination. I saw some talk of the smallpox vaccination being used for monkeypox. We mentioned before on the broadcast that the smallpox vaccination was it was a calling device, like all vaccination, but that one in particular was a calling device. And so many people actually were euthanized, I guess, to put it in a soft sense. They were they were killed by that vaccination. So this is just going to be more more calling. And then the people who are into the Zio sludge agendas and ideologies will eat this up and say that, oh, gosh, it was the virus that got these people ill because people just don't really understand how it works. Remember that germ theory is a hollow hoax. It's the hollowest hoax, I would say, of this century, even though it was debunked like way before this century. It was debunked before the hollow hoax. But people are still people are still caught up in this shit. But yeah, this is metaverse. Any of these ideas that take us and put us out of reality, put us into that metaverse style of existence, which is a post-truth world. It's a post-truth worldview. I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much awareness of all these deviant behaviors, like what they would call in the DSM narcissism. Psychopathy is more of, I think, a proper term, but it's all about post-truth. And I think narcissism, monkeypox, of course, the Oyves are like megal megalomaniac narcissists. We know this already, obviously. All of this just puts us out of reality and more into this post-truth world. So especially if we're going to be rooting in, we're going to be ascending, we're going to be using sexuality as medicine, that really can kind of really be a total counter to any of this sludge that puts us out of reality, which is their one of their main goals, right? To put us out of reality. I mean, the average person believes so many things, so many hoaxes that put them in a state of unreality and i think that's why a lot of people can't actually see what's going on in the world and that's why they launch these agendas they launch them to harvest energy right and they also launch them to cover up for the foul things they've done 
and they launch it to put us even more out of reality. Because even if someone is, let's say, racially aware, you could still be completely and totally out of reality. I mean, I, I see it all the time. So the goal isn't just being racial. The goal is to root into reality and to live in a tangible place and space as opposed to just having all these ideas swarming around. Like, I don't really listen to any type of podcast that has to do with any of the stuff that's going on in the world. Personally, I just don't give a fuck. I just, I just don't, but I'm not going to waste my time or energy on that. I'm going to listen to more nourishing types of stuff that actually really helps me root in, you know, helps me become aware, become a better human to heal, you know, to, to optimize. Like that's what I'm interested in. I'm not really interested in like finding out over and over, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this. What does it matter? Discussing it just puts us out of reality and it keeps us in that suspension of what do we do next as opposed to actually let's act on something and let's do something, right? So just my thoughts on this ridiculous monkeypox thing. It's metaverse. It's a way of putting us out of reality. It's a way for us to basically, I would say, confirm that we've been gaslit by the abuser a big Z is the abuser kind of using the narcissistic paradigm or skeletal structure to kind of discuss this. Big Z is constantly gaslighting us. So oftentimes the same thing when you're dealing with someone who's got these personality defects for whatever reason it is, why even engage in something that's non-reality? This is a, like a, you know, a large macrocosmic example of non-reality. Why do it to ourselves, right? I think we're all better than that. Let's take a Gandhi at the chat. We've got a bunch of humans here in the chat. Thanks for all being here, everybody. And let's see, Josh is saying, not too many people have table manners or manners in general. Not one to pay to pat myself on the back, but I'm grateful to have been brought up with manners. I say, sir, ma'am, please, and thank you. I typically hold the door for everyone. And Epiphany is saying, that's why we love you, Josh. Yeah, it's, a, it's important to have those manners. It goes, it goes a long way. It really, really does. Um, and it's, it's when you're that way to other people, I think you get it back, like you pay it forward and stuff. So I think it's important. And of course, that Josh was saying that in um, regards to the, the smell feast, the unsavory person that comes to dinner and causes problems. But yeah, just my thoughts on this monkeypox thing. I mean, yeah, like I said, the memes are rewriting themselves. A lot of these memes write themselves. But to even spend time kind of just focusing on it and debunking it, I think that's what they want. They want us to, because I mean, I think a lot of people are just like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, this is literally a thing. But I'm sure, I'm sure there are people who literally think it's a thing, but those people are already so out of reality. I don't think there's going to be some great awakening of those people. And I also wonder too, with this whole idea that, that some people in kind of like the the alt kind of Zioe shill sphere or whatever you want to call it talk about oh there's this great awakening coming is it really i don't really know if that's true i think people should just focusing focus on awakening themselves maybe you know making connections cosmic connections with other humans but the whole idea that there's like this mass great awakening happening that almost sounds like some cue shit to me to be quite honest i don't really think that that's actually happening um Maybe it's just something they're saying to kind of get people to, I don't know, think that like things are going to change. But that's kind of just my thoughts on that type of thing. All right. So where should we start out for this show? I've got a lot of groovy information. And like I said, we got a lot of great questions for all this type of stuff. 
So let's talk a little bit about Ojas. This is, of course, an Ayurvedic thing. Ayurveda is, is our lineage. Discuss Ayurveda many a times on the broadcast. It's a very interesting topic. And I think that, like a lot of modalities, like TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, I think a lot of it has actually been, unfortunately, kind of inverted, like everything else in the world, been inverted, um, just kind of the way it is. And then the work is not just finding this work in the first place, but then kind of reverberating and going, you know, into it and then saying, ah, you know what, that's probably a Talmudic miasmic onlay, right? Josh is saying, I've heard that there's some, quote, mass awakening for the last 15 years from the truthers to the UFO circles to the new age, etc. Yeah, exactly. Good point. They've been promoting this idea of a you know, mass awakening for a long time. And Josh is also saying the awakening can come if individuals do the work for themselves. Yes. And I think also if people stop feeding the Zio beast, right? Keep feeding the system, keep decompartmentalizing what they think is true or not. Like, oh, AI is a hoax, but voting is real. I mean, come on, right? That's, that's the worst. Like I had talked about in the last mini clip, people who decompartmentalize what they actually think is true. I mean, that means they still honestly have faith in the system shitstorm. So there's a, really a lot to be said about having that personal awakening and not feeding any of the stuff out there that they put out there because they're they're energy harvesters. Remember that. That's what they they work on harvesting energy just like in that dark crystal film. What were they doing? Harvesting energy. Oh, and there's something I should mention before I get more into the topic of Ojas. So the sex and um, Vedic sex fertility and yoga channel is growing quite nicely on Telegram. But for the last couple of weeks or last week or so, every time I make a post, there's someone who's thumbs downing it. Actually, I think there's two people who are thumbs downing it. I'm not sure who it is uh, because you really can't tell like who's doing this, but maybe it's an Extian. Maybe it's a misogynist. Maybe it's someone who has more of the vegetarian view of Vedicism, which of course is a Talmudic onlay. I know that a lot of people don't know that, they don't accept it, but the oldest Ayurvedic text talked about meat as being like the number one food for health. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, veg vegetables. It's not that vegetables are terrible, just that a lot of the information that we've been, we've been given is totally inverted. And I think when people are given a base that is inverted, oftentimes they will kind of have their worldview based on that base of information that's been inverted, which is very unfortunate. It's kind of like people who twaddle on and on and on about, you know, the rates of people who have died from the vaccination or like, you know, or, or from the virus, excuse me, when they realize that, or they don't realize rather that that's based within the con con finds of germ theory, right? So it's like when people's paradigms have been completely kind of just fucked up by some like limited belief system, then everything they're saying is limited. And then when they see something else that they don't like, they thumbs down it. So I, I posted things on this channel in the last couple of weeks about more of it was kind of geared towards women, but I've, I'll post stuff about men and I haven't posted stuff about men as well. People are just thumb, thumbing down posts about female sexuality, female sensuality, thumbing down posts about reishi mushroom being good for, you know, prenatal health or even what's called a reishi baby, which is like a baby that's like a super smart and aware baby. So obviously there's someone who doesn't like this information. I don't know why. 
thumbings down, thumbing down a post about some good books about fertility nutrition, thumbing down a post about a, about the best positions for a woman to achieve orgasm, or actually putting a little shit thing, a little shit emoji for that one. I'm not even sure what that means. Like that stinks. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, I posted something about female ejaculation, which is lymph fluid, and three people thumbs downed it. So I guess whenever you put information out there about sex, and I guess a lot of people based on their, their childhood, whatever it may be, maybe they've gotten information like through, you know, through that lens. Like I know a lot of people who I've met in my life who are, let's say, raised in a very, not just Christian, but a very like Catholic way. Oftentimes they're the ones that seem to have the most amount of like hangups when it comes to like sex and sexuality. So, I mean, my, my goal is to pr promote and present an idea of sexuality and sensuality that's healthy for us. Because all we're bombarded with nowadays is like some guy in like a rainbow costume who took it up the bum and he's like, he's so proud and this is a great space for, you know, the whole family to be, which of course, none of, none of this is true. This is all just crazy talk, obviously. But we really don't have any idea of healthy sexuality and especially when so many of us have kind of come into the world with like pornography being like where we get all of our information about or most of it about sex maybe like a shitty health class in high school or college but there's really not a lot out there that's coming from like a nourishing you know wholesome and of course it can be wholesome I don't mean like wholesome in the way we're usually used to wholesome but in a way where it's not dirty because so much of the stuff we see nowadays has like this dirty feel to it, especially the pornographic stuff. But to get back to what I was talking about, about people seeing things through this lens of vegetarianism, and I think that's possibly where some of this talk about the semen retention is coming from. Should we just willy-nilly spray our seed wherever and be masturbating fastidiously through the day? I'm not promoting that, but I think that completely and never ejaculating that doesn't really seem like it's the healthiest thing especially for prostate health and of course we live in a very different world today than the world we used to live in back you know when like all these you know ancient texts were written I mean come on we live in a very very different world even if you're living in in the you know farm somewhere like on a homestead things are still super different compared to the way they were back in the day but I think what I'm trying to basically get to the point at we're going to talk about the ojas it's all going to blend together Oh, just as vitality, like I was saying before. But I think a lot of these ideas of like retaining all your seed, and I think the people who were not liking the things I said on the sex channel were these like seed retainer people. I think that's based on a vegetarian diet because that sounds kind of like a practice you would do because you didn't have enough energy and it was almost like a self-flagellation. Remember, a lot of these ancient texts, regardless of, of what milieu they're in, they're going to have a Talmudic onlay. Like, look at the typical standard Ayurvedic diet that's utilized currently. It's it's basically vegetation-based, right? I mean, some of the only Vedic foods that have remained in the Ayurvedic diet were things like the dairy foods, like the ghee and, and the milk and things like that, the yogurt, right? But to quote some of the old Ayurvedic books, the Shatapatha Brahmana states that meat is the best kind of food. So do you see any of the yogis promoting meat as the best food? No, most of them promote a lacto-vegetarian diet, not lacto-ovo. They consider eggs to actually be in the 
the same category as meat. I believe they categorize these foods as tasmatic or rajasic, meaning they're like foods you should only eat in like small quantities if you're ill, or these are foods that um, you should never eat because they, they make these aggressive states. But I think oftentimes this is based on the whole idea of pacifism, of what we, it was a fake version of ahimsa, a fake version of karma, a fake version of dharma, the idea that eating meat is unethical. And I think that that's where a lot of these semen retention ideas come from. Because if someone doesn't have like the, the power that comes from eating meat, if anyone's ever not eaten meat, they've like, let's say most of you probably grew up with it, right? I'm the rare one that didn't, but let's say you didn't grow up with it. And then you decide to do a stint where you didn't eat it. And then especially if you're a guy and you're like a physical guy with your job, I mean, I know men who have grew up with it. They stopped it thinking it was like, you know, they were, they were brain poisoned thinking it was not a food and they felt so weak. They lost weight, they lost muscle tone, maybe their libido went down and they couldn't do their physical work. Like I'm thinking that a lot of these semen retainers are people who are just not eating enough, spending all their time in meditation and not really understanding that meat is is our food essentially i know it's hard for some people to kind of get to this point they think that meat is like the anti-spiritual thing but remember these are all things that we've just been fed right i think if you want a healthy sex drive you need to eat cholesterol rich foods which are how we make our sex hormones so in this ancient text again the shatapatha brahmana states that meat is the best kind of food something else another ancient Quote, nothing equals meat for the promotion of health and substance of the body. And of course, they don't mean the cafo meat that comes from the grocery store. They mean good quality meat, possibly even raw meat. Another ancient scripture of Ayurveda, Bhava Prakesh states that the meat of freshly killed animals is like Amrit. And Amrit is the ultimate life-giving fluid that sustains the divine, oftentimes Female ejaculation is referred to amrit or amrita, which like means like the sweetness or the nectar, kind of like an ambrosia. This is considered the ultimate life-giving fluid that sustains the divine. So if someone was to thumbs down a post about female ejaculation or squirting, maybe this is someone who doesn't think the meat of freshly killed animals is the ultimate life-giving fluid that sustains the divine, right? If the meat is like the amrit, like the fluid, you can see how this kind of works in, I think, a lot of this kind of self-flagellation, this seal on desire, this whole idea that we have to deprive ourselves. Not to say we should just become totally hedonistic and just kind of, I don't know, glue ourselves to the couch and, and binge on DoorDash. It's it's nothing like that. I mean, there's that's, this, that's foul hedonism. I'd say, like, if you even want to use the word hedonistic... I don't even think it's that. I think it's just honoring the body. Like, of course, you want to have a sexual experience. Of course, you want to feed and nourish yourself. Like, I think a lot of these ideas where people are just kind of, I guess, uh, abstaining from a lot of stuff. I mean, look, look what happens in, in the Catholic Church when these priests abstain. They can't have a, a wife. They can't have a family. They end up abusing children, right? So, I don't think you can really channel away all of your desires with, with meditation. Can meditation help enhance your life and make you a more grounded person? Yeah, certainly. I know the benefits of, from doing it for a long time, but I really think that oftentimes there hap happens to be kind of like a correlation between these dysfunctional, malnutritious diets and these distorted sexual practices. Another quote. 
Charaka Samhita, which has been stated to be the oldest Ayurvedic text, states the following. I'm going to read it in Sanskrit and then I'm going to read it in English. Sharira Brinhane Nanyat Kadyam Mamsa Dwish Shityate, which translates to, for the promotion and nourishment of the body, no other food item is better than meat. So there we can see some old ancient information about meat. So I think a lot of this semen retention stuff, which we've been hearing about a lot, especially in the quote movement. And remember, the bigger the front, the bigger the back, like they, the, bigger, the bigger the back, they always say in macrobiotics. You had this whole culture of young men who grew up on pornography. Many of them became habituated to it. And then what happens? The backlash of that is the whole no fap movement, right? So I think if we can look at the context of that, that kind of makes sense because, you know, you go, you swing from high to low. But I think when we're talking about it from an ancient Aryan, like holistic medicinal context, I think it really makes sense that if we were to eat the good foods, the ancestral good foods, we want to be having these encounters that, you know, ended in a release. But like I said, it wouldn't be releasing 10 times a day. Obviously, that's going to deplete anyone's ojas, even if they're eating a really good diet. And it's not to say we should be fiddling ourselves nonstop or we should be having sex 10 times a day. I think there's a real consciousness to having like a rhythm to it. And I would also probably venture to say that it's probably more of a of a nurturing or a enriching experience when it happens as sex as opposed to just you know self-pleasure which I think has really been downgraded a lot to like this thing where people just are diddling themselves but what if someone was giving themselves a sensual massage is that masturbation like I mean I think oftentimes the culture just gets these weird ideas in their head about what things are but I think it all comes down to this Extian miasmic onlay. Remember, we have this kind of like duel going on in society. Remember, they always play both sides, right? They play both sides. It's just what they do. So they play the new age. They play the religious side. So we have this thing going on in society where you're like, you know, you're very pure and you live this like very pure type of lifestyle, or you're like all out, you know, you're like on some pride, pride balloon or at some pride parade. So like they really like to promote these two ideas of extremes when oftentimes, actually every time, neither extreme is correct, right? Is somewhere in the middle, is somewhere in regards to the, you know, the NS perspective of radical centrism. It's like, is the left right? Is the right right? No. Are there certain ideas on both of those sides that maybe could be appetizing to us in a racial context? Certainly. But most of the time, or in fact, every time, the answer lies within the middle path, but they always like to show extremes. It's like with bodies, they show a beach land whale or a skeleton, right? It's always in these extremes and they always want to be like, hey, goy, pick a side, right? Pick this one that sucks or pick this one that sucks, right? But don't look in the middle, don't look there. And I think that's the way a lot of things have, have come down to society, especially in regards to diet and sexuality, which I think are very intertwined. I think oftentimes like someone's sexual appetite or desire or style can definitely be influenced by their diet and also kind of just their, their programming, their religion thing, like we talked about before, how a lot of, I've noticed a lot of people who are religious tend to, especially Catholic, be kind of uptight about sex. Not everybody. I mean, sometimes it's it's lessened as, as time goes on, but I feel like when people are flagellated with these bad ideas they they live out these ideas in their in their life unfortunately but that's just kind of my take on the whole retention thing let's take a gandhi at some of the chats so we got a bunch of messages going on 
Brancerik is saying if a person can't, quote, wake themselves up, they probably never will. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Epiphany is saying some people are comfortable being asleep, but there's a lot of comfort in being asleep. And they have to go through their whole mind and find out that out of, out of Africa was a hollow hoax, germ theory was a hollow hoax, the hollow hoax was a hollow hoax, veganism is a hoax, feminism is a hoax, MGTOW is a hoax, yeah, religion is a hoax. It's a lot for a lot of people to do that. They'd rather just, you know, stay asleep. Rensarek is also saying, I feel like all these Marvel movies are just training people to wait for the hero when you will have to be your own hero. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's kind of like that whole savior idea that a lot of people had with Trump, you know, waiting for someone, you know, our guy to come into the picture and help and take care of us, right? Josh is saying, I'm convinced that many are wet behind the ears, teenagers or young 20-somethings who haven't really lived or experienced life. And the Zog shit hasn't helped at all. People come off as purity spiralists who don't think and are not pragmatic at all. Or their entire purity spiral is just based on things they've seen on the internet, like all this trad stuff they're seeing on the internet. Are they actually experiencing this themselves? Or are they technically, like we were talking about with monkeypox, are they literally living in the metaverse, right? I think a lot of the younger set might actually already be living in that metaverse in more of a way that some of us who are millennial and Gen X can kind of comprehend, right? OG is saying, I don't really watch most of the Marvel movies, although I like a few like the Deadpool and the Venom, but I'll tell you what they're helping my comic book sales, LOL. I started a result to resell shop um, online selling comics and cards, cool. Yeah, exactly. It could be used for that. If there are these Tom Fools who are going to procure that stuff, it can be a business for you, right? I know with myself, I sold many of my toys from the 80s and 90s when a lot of kids who were my age were just buying back up their their stuff and maybe their parents threw away and things like that. And Epiphany is saying Disney owns Marvel. Yep, that is true. So just my thoughts there with a little bit of the stuff with... um the retention and the no fap. I'll, I'm going to expand on this a little bit more as the show goes on because I've gotten some other, some other information or some other questions from some other humans. But I think oftentimes when we see these habits, this is just one example, when we see these habits, when people are told to not do this, put the seal on this, don't eat that, don't do this. I think all of that really comes back to the XD or the Talmudic mindset. That's, that's at least, um, how I kind of see it. I think when you really kind of are able to see Xtianity, not just as Xtianity, but see the miasmic onlay into so many other things about it being Xtianity, this is how this is how it happens, right? That guy is saying many extremists actually view themselves as rational, just passionate. Yeah, I guess I can see that, but I think oftentimes that, you know, people in our milieu are referred to as, quote, extremists when the most extreme people are the people who were on, like, the horseshoe side, you know, politically or ideologically speaking, right? That, I think, is probably the most extreme. It's not us who are told we're, quote, extremists, right? You know, those, those extreme views, you know, he was, quote, radicalized on the internet. No, he found out the truth on the internet, like many of us have, right? Or... The internet could be a, a tool where people find out terrible things and get further and deeper into the Zio lies. That happens all the time. So here, a little bit about Ojas. This is important stuff. This works into sexuality. Definitely very different than any of the stuff that we're ever taught. I mean, it's so sad, the quote, education that many of us get in regards to sexuality, and especially what's happening now 
with all the LGBTQIAV plus stuff. I mean, just, just terrible. I don't think that that's ever, ever appropriate for children to learn about. I don't think it's appropriate for adults to really learn about either because that is not healthy. That is not medicine. That is, I guess, perversion being acted out from trauma and dysfunction. That guy is saying, well, conservative news called January 6th a riot. Liberal word, liberal news used the word insurrection. That's true, too. They oftentimes utilize different words like one thing was, you know, I guess you'd say it was a riot. Something else would say it was a peaceful protest. This, you always see this, too. It would be the same story, just the banner at the bottom is different. So words, words are definitely weaponized. There's no doubt about it. So here's a bit about ojas. According to Ayurveda, there is a special substance in the body that governs your aging uh, immunity, I guess really support system, radiant skin, your vigor, your mood, your sleep, digestion, spirituality, and your physical strength. This substance is called ojas, and that's spelled O-J-A-S. In Sanskrit, ojas has two prominent meanings. In the context of physical health and vitality, it means vigor, virility or vitality, so prana, chi, vril. In the context of a spiritual and emotional well-being, it is the physiological expression of consciousness. And this is one of the passages in the Samahita Sutrasana. Ojas is the first thing to be created in the body of all living beings. It is ghee-colored. It tastes like honey and smells like roasted puffed rice. And here they show a lovely picture of a bee collecting the nectar of flowers and turning it into honey, the ojas of flowers. So honey is the ojas of flowers. If you have a plentiful reserve of ojas, is it reflected in the luster of eyes, the radiance of skin that glows so detectable in babies and pregnant women, potent fertility, tenacious immunity, strong digestion, and clarity of mind. A lack of ojas will be reflected in all the body's systems, not least of all a sallow or dull complexion, compromised, quote, immunity, fertility, anxiety, and a weak mind. And of course, Big Z wants us all to have low ojas. That's their goal. That's why they're constantly putting out these things to stress us out. That's why they're traumatizing us. They want us to live in the metaverse. So many people actually want to go into that metaverse space because they are so divorced from their body or they've been so traumatized, they just don't want to live in this skin anymore. I mean, the metaverse seems like it's the ultimate form of escapism, the drug that never quits, right? So how are ojas made, you might be wondering. Perhaps the best way to describe ojas is to compare it to honey. 10 to 20,000 bees per hive collect the nectar of thousands of flowers and concentrate into honey making honey the ojas of flowers. In the same way, when we eat fresh, unprocessed foods, microscopic amounts of their essence accumulate over time through the process of healthy digestion and become ojas. And keep in mind, if someone's digestion is messed up, they may be eating, but they may not be absorbing what they are eating. So they may think they're eating X amount of protein, you know, protein grams per day, but they may not actually be getting the ojas benefits from that because they're not absorbing it. That's why having healthy gut health is such an important thing. And it's harder, I know, all the time for that. I mean, granted, when these, you know, these old texts were written and people were first talking about ojas, 
the world was a very different place. So oftentimes we have to find a way to translate this ancient information into a palatable way, you know, for, for the modern day, for the modern human. If digestion is disturbed, the essence of all foods will not be extracted and no ojas will be made. So let's say you eat something really amazing, but you eat it under stress or you've got some gut compromise going on. You're not going to be able to make ojas from that food because the essence of the food cannot be extracted. According to Ayurveda, within the 30 days it takes for the body to manufacture ojas, not only is food ingested and eliminated, but the nutrients from the food are used to build what is known as the seven major tissues of the body. The accumulation of this process is the production of ojas. Eating healthy, wholesome, unprocessed food must be ingested in a calm, peaceful, and relaxed manner in order to create the ojas. Rushing through a meal activates the fight or flight system and dysregulates the digestion promoting parasympathetic nervous system. That's why, you know, when you're behind the wheel and eating, it's really always better to pause and take a wee bit of time to eat the meals if you can. I know sometimes it's hard these days with the way people's jobs and lifestyles are structured, but it's always best to kind of create like a little environment where you can just say thank you for the meal and, and eat it and, you know, in a, in a quiet and uh, calm environment. Potassium-rich foods are a requirement. We don't get enough potassium these days. The average person doesn't get nearly enough. This is one of the issues why people have blood sugar dysregulation. You know, pre-diabetes, type 1, type 2, just blood sugar fluctuations, high blood sugar, low blood sugar, those types of things. Our ancestors ate a diet that was extremely high in potassium and lower in sodium or salt. All plant-based foods are high in potassium and low in sodium. Well, there's also plenty of animal foods that are high in sodium um, and high in potassium and sodium. And I don't agree here with the idea of lower in sodium. Whilst the sodium from the processed foods is absolute zio sludge, good salt is really important to have in the diet. Potassium seems to be a building block of making ojas as it is the key ingredient to the potassium sodium pump, which drives the electrical potential and energy of every cell. And good sources of potassium, potatoes, red meat, cod, dairy, uh, especially whey, coconut water, uh, fruits, especially melon. You could also take a potassium supplement. You can try something called biofulvic, which is like a blend of all these different minerals together. So there are many ways to get potassium into the system. So a robust digestive system is required to make the ojas from the food, the coordinated efforts of your stomach, pancreas, liver, and gallbladder prepare for the food to be assimilated. And there are seven steps of the ojas production. And then there's also a, a, a correlation between oxytocin, melatonin, and ojas. It is said that the skin of babies and small children glows with the ojas. Of course, their metabolisms are typically better. They haven't, unfortunately, hopefully not been traumatized. Of course, many of us, when we were small, you can always remember back to like your first memories when you were really tiny. They're typically, if you can remember them, rather peaceful or hopefully, but then as things go on, typically a child will say, you know, I grew up and it was peaceful. And then all of a sudden, you know, all hell broke loose. It's often said that holding a baby will build ojas for the holder. Hugging, touching, caring, and loving others the way a mother coddles her baby increases the love and bonding hormone oxytocin, which of course is released after birth, during a good lovemaking session, during things like yoni steaming. Oxytocin is something thought to be Ojas increases the mother's loving touch from a hug or when offering concern to others. 
and this precursor to another hormone, which would be melatonin. So low melatonin is possibly a reason why someone might have less OJAS. This is not something that's really good to supplement, though, because it can kind of fuss or fiddle with your thyroid, and that could actually fiddle with your hormone production or your libido or your appetite for sexuality. So oftentimes the modern world offers solutions, but not necessarily the best solutions. So that's why it's always nice to look back at all these old things and see how they were doing them but kind of build it into our own kind of, you know, modern way of, of seeing things. Some say that OJAS is mostly made of peptides, like small protein molecules. So like OJAS, these peptides control endocrinology, the hormones, the nervous system, digestive system, and psychology. So if OJAS are made of peptides, which are protein-like molecules, wouldn't it make more sense that a protein-rich diet could build OJAS? as opposed to most of these modern Ayurvedic diets, which really don't have too much protein. So what are some things that can deplete our OJAS? Stress, of course, that's a pretty obvious one, right? Overwork, and that could be overwork, whether it's your job, or let's say you just go down like a rabbi hole of like research on some topic. That's overwork too. Remember, overwork isn't necessarily the work that we get paid for. We can overwork ourselves just by spending too much time on the internet, you know, going down these, essentially these are all Nantucket Slayer rides at the end of the day, because are they making us better people? Or are we just kind of like getting more bathed in this idea, right? So stress, overwork, lack of sleep, excessive alcohol, a fever, even though a fever is healing, ejaculation, like over ejaculation can be OJAS depleting. Having too many orgasms for both men and women can be OJAS depleting. Overexertion in exercise or sports, so overexercising. Malnourishment, poor digestion and absorption, what they call weak agni. Agni means fire. You want to have good agni. It's usually stronger in the, the morning time. And draining emotions like sadness, fear, anxiety, depression, irritability, and anger. So you could say OJAS in general was a huge OJAS depleter. Any PSYOP they put out there is essentially depleting your OJAS. So anything that depletes your OJAS are things that are stressful, things that create, you know, these unpleasant emotions, uh, malnourishment, obviously. Any type of like overwork to the body essentially depletes OJAS. So stress is the main culprit, I would say, of, you know, OJAS being depleted. And of course, malnourishment is a form of stress. Overexercising is a form of stress. Drinking too much alcohol is a form of stress. So how can we build up our OJAS? Now we know what depletes them, what builds them up. Nature, spending time in nature, eating fresh, unprocessed, seasonal foods in a relaxed manner, laughter, love and affection, creativity, not rising, not rushing, being relaxed, things that make you feel happy, acting on things you're passionate about, giving and serving to other humans, yoga, breathing, meditation, ample rest, having at least seven to eight hours of sleep, early to bed, early to rise. And then here are some other things, some herbs and some foods. Uh, the Ayurvedic herb ashwagandha that could actually lower cortisol and increase progesterone, I think testosterone too. It is a bit drying, but that could be used by both sexes. Shatavari, which means, um, I think, woman of a thousand husbands. That's the Sanskrit translation. This is a herb that's in the same family as asparagus. And this could also be like helpful like for calming the nerves. 
I think the best way to take it is typically in ghee, which when you also think about supplements or herbs, you think, oh, am I going to take a tincture? Am I going to do a tea? Am I going to take a capsule? I think taking herbs that are actually steeped in ghee is one of the nicest ways to get them into your body because it's kind of the same principle of sauteing vegetables or vegetation in animal lipids makes it more bioavailable than the minerals in the in the vegetation once they're cooked, of course, but the the lipids act kind of like as a fat-soluble vehicle. So oftentimes you'll see stuff like shatavari that's in ghee. And sometimes these two herbs, ashwagandha and shatavari, are taken together. Shatavari is a, is a female herb, though, not a male herb. Dates can be very ojas, um, building coconut, saffron, ghee, honey, cardamom, milk, figs. Uh, these are all ojas building foods. Traditionally, a concoction of herbs and foods on this list were blended with a milk base, which was warmed and taken before bed as an ojas building sleep aid. So those are some food ideas. And the best two things you can do to build ojas would be just loving and laughing, which is a great way to build ojas. And of course, that'll increase the love and bonding hormone, oxytocin. So basically, ojas are these things that it's kind of like you can't even see it. A lot of the stuff you can't see. It's not like Western medicine where it's very, you know, proof-based and fact-based. But you know, that's in their, that's in their paradigm of, of their proof, their facts, right? And remember, we live in a post-truth society. So with ojas, it's essentially building this internal vigor by slowing down, you know, spending time in nature, meditating, not rushing, being creative. In a way, it's almost like nurturing the feminine side, and this isn't going to make guys into like, you know, girls or, you know, homosexual or anything. It's nothing like that. But we live in this society today where everything is so go, 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 especially living in a place like New York, the pace is extremely fast. You know, that's just the way it is. It's very ojas depleting. I think urban living in general is probably very ojas depleting, but it's really about doing the things that keep you feeling nourished and nurtured and trying to avoid as best you can, easier said than done, the things that deplete the ojas, like the stress and the overwork, you know, and, and things like that. And let's see what else is here. I think that was it for this, a couple of handouts on the ojas. So yeah, I think we pretty much covered that. Just, you know, just, just I mean, it's, it's simple stuff to hear. It's just when you put it into action, that's when really it all kind of matters. But that's, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Just, you know, not not doing these things that are super stressful. Fasting would deplete ojas as well. Uh, excessive computer or Talmud vision utilization. Loss of vital fluids. So like, let's say even giving blood would deplete ojas, right? Too much um, seminal um, output would deplete ojas. Uh, use of drugs and stimulants, medication, medical or recreational. Excess emotions, pretend emotions, repressed emotions, disturbed sleep, you know, injury. And of course, there's going to be times in our lives when all, all of us have dealt with at least one or two of the things on this list, right? But that doesn't mean that we, we're like we're done and we're broken. Of course, we can find ways to kind of increase the oja. Something else, honoring the solar lunar rhythms in one's practice. That's really important. Like just, you know, honoring like, when it's warm out or when it's... When it's uh, when it's daylight, you know, getting the daylight and then during the night, like one of the things I think is really important for probably, oh, just isn't 
mentioned here because it's a bit of an older article is that you know blocking the blue light as time goes on during the day you're not exposing ourselves to harsh blue light that can mess with our melatonin production right just living around beautiful aesthetics and nowadays we live in this world that's so miasmic when it comes to aesthetics it's all very angular and talmudic but just cultivating aesthetics beauty arts peaceful rhythm enjoyment of art and living that can all increase ojas uh, nourished nourishing yourself not just with food but with having a rhythm having a morning routine having an evening routine right this is all good too there's a lot there's a lot of things you can do to nourish um, the ojas fresh sweet fruits and vegetables balancing sexual energy in accordance to the seasons and one's constitution so if someone's like in a really depleted state maybe having a lot of sex isn't a good thing for them right if someone's in kind of an abundant state maybe it's better it's just like how if someone's in a depleted state maybe saunaing is not the best thing for them right maybe taking it more easy or like doing something like you know hit or crossfit is probably not good for someone who's feeling depleted so it really all comes down to where we are in life, right? And that's going to change. We're all going to have different seasons and different ways that we feel at, at different times of the month and of the year. And and that's to be expected, I would say. So that's what I wanted to say right there about Ojas. It's a very, I think it's a very interesting topic. And just to kind of be, I guess, aware of some of the habits that we have that could be depleting our Ojas. I mean, even just buying into a lot of their Zio Sludge stuff, you know, giving it lip service, like, that can deplete Ojas, which of course is what they want. So I think we'll take a little break and then we'll come back and we'll be talking more about sexuality as medicine. So we'll be right back in just a minute. Start this off without any words. Got so high, Love myself better than you. Know it's wrong. So what should I do? The finest day that I've ever had was when I learned to crawl from hell. Love myself better than you. Know it's wrong. So what should I do? Defense and new day. 
town to make it all clear to run our fans don't make sense the myself that I know it's wrong what should I do and one more special message to go and then I'm done and I can go back that was nirvana mtv unplugged 1993 with on a plane and you are listening to white wellness radio with me your host tabitha the topic today is sexuality as medicine so now we're going to delve into another topic we're going to talk about a word that well its meaning has been inverted we've talked about this before with some other words on the broadcast the word cunt that word is typically considered to be the most offensive word in the English language, which is kind of a laugh when you realize that that word comes from the word kundalini or cuneiform, which means goddess. Even the word fecundant and the word cute have roots in the word cunt. And now it's typically a word you'd use to demean somebody, whether they be male or female, and just say, oh, that person's such a cunt, you know, but that person's a goddess or you're demeaning that person, right? So as you can see, they take a very, of course, this is so sexist, like they take a super powerful word like that. And what do they do? They mean it to be like a, the most offensive word in the English language. I think here in the States, it's more offensive than in places like the UK and Australia, where it's kind of used as kind of like in a more jocular sense. But here in the States, it seems to be one of the most offensive words. I always remember as a child or like a teen, even a 20-something thinking, why is this word so offensive? Like, why? Like, why are people offended by it? Then I looked into it and I was like, oh, okay, so it's totally been inverted. And then, we, of course, we had this happening with the word slut. That word is usually thrown around these days, typically at women, sometimes at men. Sometimes people wear it as like a, a sign of pride. Probably people who are into pride, of course, having nothing to do with real pride, you know, the Zio type of pride. But anyway, that word means um, a slob, like someone who's a slob, who's fat, or someone who can't cook. There was something many years ago known as a slut's penny, and that's when someone makes a loaf of bread. If you've ever eaten a loaf of bread or a pancake and you get that little piece of like the hard flour that just didn't get, quote, mixed in, that's the slut's penny. So now that word is thrown around. I mean, I guess that word always kind of had a negative connotation of someone who was slovenly or couldn't cook a meal, but now it's usually used in like a sexually derogatory way. Interesting. So what word am I talking about today? We've already gone through two of them that, you know, usually make people recoil, the word cunt, the word um, slut. The word today is pussy. Now that word is oftentimes also makes people recoil and also it's been completely and totally inverted. So here's a little thing that I wrote for the White Wellness Channel, which some people thumbs downed 
I don't know why. Um, I think we need to kind of like clear the miasma from these words. You know, I, I guess whenever you're doing anything where it exposes the truth, some people are just going to be uncomfortable with hearing those things. It's just the way it is. It's like maybe some of you listening have tried to have a conversation with people about how, you know, how viruses actually work and how they really don't exist and how microbes in general are like, you know, facilitate as janitors and they just kind of shut you down where the same thing happens when people hear these types of words, right? So here we go. Much like the word cunt, goddess, or slut, ale, cook, or slob, the word pussy has been perverted by the Zio system. Pussy first became synonymous with girls and women when it was addressed to them in general as a non-sexual, non-sexual endearment. It remained neutral and a means of expressing affection for many years to come by friends and family alike, a fact documented in a series of liter liter literary works belonging to the late 1500s. The term gained sexual connotations in the 19th century when it was associated with the vagina, referring to something soft, warm, and furry. Must have been before the whole waxing and shaving craze. Pussy cat by 1690s, a diminutive of puss, also used of a rabbit, 1715, as a term of endearment for a girl or woman from the 1500s, and also used for effeminate men, and applied childishly to anything soft and furry. To play pussy was World War II RAF slang for take advantage of cloud cover, jumping from cloud to cloud to shadow a potential victim or avoid recognition. Pussy slang for female pudenda from the Old English pusa by 1879, but probably older, perhaps the Old Norse puss, pocket or pouch, compared to the low German pousse or vulva, which means pocket or purse. Compare French le chat, which also has a double meaning feline and genital. Earlier uses are difficult to distinguish from pussy, number one, for example, pussy whipped or hand packed, is attested by 1956. Middle English had cunt beaten as impotent in reference to a man in the 15th century. It also signifies sexual intercourse, giving it a crude and vulgar tonality. I'm getting some pussy tonight. In contemporary times, pussy is wildly recognized as profanity. It is considered a derogatory word that dehumanizes women, reducing them to sexual objects. Let's reclaim this word from the Skeksis. And remember that a tight pussy is not what you want. A soft, supple, and resilient pussy is pussy power. So as we can see, this word has been completely and totally inverted. And it has Norse under trimmings, right? Coming from the Norse word um, puss, pocket or pouch, or the low German pusse, meaning vulva, pocket or purse. So we can see this word has been completely through the mill. And of course, wouldn't it make total sense in this misogynistic, zio-sludge, skexist wor world that they would take this word that used to be a non-sexual term of endearment for both girls and women and turn it into a derogatory and misogynistic word, just like they've done with slut, just like they've done with cunt. Like, this is just what they do. But just keep in mind, whenever you see this word in writing somewhere, don't recoil from it. Don't feel the way that they want you to feel because that's buying into their version of reality. I think essentially when we believe the inverted versions of a word or a story, we're kind of already out of reality. We're kind of in that metaverse style of, of Zio thinking, which we really want to avoid. But if you didn't know... Now you know a little bit about this word, which typically people use in a more vulgar sense, or they just kind of recoil when they hear it because they don't actually know the real meaning of it. So if you didn't know, now you know. 
All right, moving right along with some more information for the show. I just want to touch lightly on this one topic, which is related, I think, a little bit to sexuality, and that would be the topic of just balancing our moon cycle with different foods. And of course, this is more for the ladies, especially the ladies who are cycling. But this is good information for ladies who aren't cycling anymore because we're still in a cyclic way as women. Like men are very linear. They're on a 24-hour, you know, type of thing. They wake up, their testosterone is higher in the morning. That's why guys like morning sucks. I guess women do too, but it seems, you know, it's for guys, I think it's more of a biological thing. And then it wanes as the day goes on. So men are like on this like linear daily thing and women are on this like typically monthly cycle where every week it's different. You know, it's, it's very spiral like it's, and if you have a partner, this is really good to know too, because you'll know, okay, this is the week when maybe she gets a little annoyed. You know, this is the week when, you know, she's really horny. Like, I think it's good to know these things as a man and even as a woman who's maybe not bleeding or in the childbearing years anymore because we're still on that cycle. But I guess in general, this information would be most appropriate for the gals out there who are in the childbearing years. So in um, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, the menstrual cycle is broken up into five phases. Five phases, follicular, ovulation, luteal, premenstrual, and menstrual. So these are the five phases. Remember, guys just have one phase, very easy, up and down. That's why men are kind of like, they would say women are more complicated than men. I don't know if women are more complicated than men. We just have, we're less predictable. Let's put it that way. So here's a little bit of information about every part of the, the every part of the, the cycle and how it kind of just works. And the premenstrual phase is kind of like the fifth phase. Oftentimes people will say there are four in different modalities. Menstrual is your winter phase when you're like, you're, you're inward, you know, you're doing the inward work of bleeding. Follicular is spring. Ovulation is summer where you're like out and about, looking your best, feeling your best. And luteal is the autumn where you're kind of retreating and getting into the winter, if that makes sense. Most ladies, the cycle is between 21 to 35. Somewhere in between that is probably, you know, the most, the most beneficial to have. Our cycle can be influenced by the moon. Some women ovulate with the full moon, menstruate with the new moon, or it's vice versa. They call one of them a red cycle, one of them a white cycle. So yeah, it's nice to have different nourishment at different times of the month to be, be complicated or weird or anything like that. It's just about having the right foods at the right time. So during the winter or the menstrual phase, you're more likely to be introverted and feel tired because your body is asking you to rest. You also may feel more intuitive during this time. It's a good time to stay warm, get plenty of rest, and eat building foods like beets, dark leafy greens cooked, of course, in animal lipids, and some pastured red meat. And also, if you wanted to use herbs at this point, remember, I always kind of create caution or err on the side of caution with herbs. You could use turmeric and ginger. Those are both very warming herbs. If you had um, a tendency to kind of like have intense bleeds or like very short cycles, you might want to err on those because those can kind of be very almost too warming or too stimulating. Of course, you have to figure out what amount works for you. Like, let's say with turmeric, I don't recommend like taking turmeric capsules, but, you know, cooking your food with like a little bit of turmeric ghee, that could be nice, right? It's all about using it in more of a conservative and ancestral way. Our ancestors would have done that. They wouldn't have like just 
scarf down a bunch of like turmeric pills. And of course, turmeric has to be activated with lipids. That's why having it in ghee is a really groovy pairing. It's oftentimes paired with uh, black pepper and sometimes ginger as well. So at this time, you want to, um, your hormones are low at this point in the cycle. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone are all low. So you want to eat high quality protein and fat. Like we said, pastured red meat would be a really good choice. Organic eggs, avocados, bone broth, ghee, butter, fish. These are all really good foods. Warming foods like soups and stews and broths. You want to avoid cold foods, raw salads and smoothies. They say in Ayurveda that the body is already kind of cold at this point. So adding extra cooling foods can lead to imbalances like cramping, clotting, and irregular cycles. This is not the time when you want to have an iced coffee during the cycle. You want to have like chicken soup, right? Take it easy with movement. Do walk, um, do walking, do yoga, do Pilates, um, stretching, etc. You might want to take the first couple of days actually off from any type of exercise and just engage in self-care or you may want to do something like yin yoga which is like really relaxing epsom salt bath self-massage things of that nature right so next is the follicular phase essentially the menstrual time of bleed is part of the follicular phase which should last like between uh, day one and ten at this point, estrogen and testosterone are starting to climb, prepare your body for ovulation, the release of an egg. So at this point in the cycle, the follicular phase, this is after menstruation ends, before ovulation begins, even though it's actually the entire, the entire part of the menstrual cycle as well, but we're focusing more on the essentially the second part of it. You want to eat healthy fats like butter, drink nutrient-dense bone broth, similar stuff to the menstrual time dark leafy greens, uh, seaweed, things like that, keeping hydrated. Goji berries is one of the herbs you can utilize at this point, which is um, an old school nightshade, very much lower in some of the, what are those called again? Some of the, like the, gosh, the solanine, like some of the al alkaloids is the word I'm looking for. Some of the alkaloids that are in nightshade vegetables that make some people not feel so good with them. Ashwagandha is also an old school nightshade, meaning it has less of, of these, um, these alkaloids. Also a herb that could be good for the follicular phase that we talked about prior is Shatavati. At this time, you will feel more energetic and happier. So this is the time when most ladies feel the best in their cycle. So women um, typically feel symptom-free. Most women feel symptom-free at this point in their cycle which is um, a big deal because some deal with serious hormonal imbalance. This phase feels like a new start for many ladies. It could be a good time for new ideas or plans and to be extra creative during this time. Aim to consume anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense foods. You could also probably tolerate more carbohydrates at this time in your cycle. Sweet potatoes, carrots, squash, beets, and properly prepared grains, also fruits. Lighter proteins are good at this time. Eggs. Uh, chicken, turkey, fish, etc. And that was actually, okay, that was a follicular phase, okay. And then moving on to also movement, you can actually step your activity up at this time because your energy increases and your hormones increase, which allow you to feel stronger and more energetic. You also might feel like doing something new. You also might feel more creative to so take advantage of all that. Next up is the ovulation phase which is about days 10 to 17. 
uh, eating foods like beets and nettles also to increase your sexual activity and your aerobic exercise and also your weight training as well during this time. Some good foods for this phase or herbs would be nettles, uh, dandelion, goji berries again. So estrogen and testosterone are at their highest this week. This is why women are usually looking their best and the sex drive is the highest at this point too. Ladies usually feel the most confident and sexy, although some women will struggle with anxiety, breakouts, and body odor. If you're scheduling a work presentation or date, this is the best time to do it because you will feel your most attractive and your linguistic skills will be at their best. Lighter foods oftentimes work better at this point. So fruits, coconuts, vegetable juices, vegetable stir fries, of course, making sure you're getting enough of your proteins as well. Eating a carrot can help with the estrogen detoxification, especially if it's cut into little shreds. If you have an issue with um, getting you know, um, estrogen out of your system, estrogen dominance, and everyone has that issue. Also, you could eat some lightly cooked, not lightly cooked, excuse me, well-cooked cruciferous vegetation. Don't overdo it with that, especially if you're prone to a thyroid issue and eat them with plenty of fat-soluble um, lipids like butter or ghee. And if you do have digestive issues like bloating, constipation, diarrhea, etc., you want to, you know, always be, any time of your cycle, this is for guys too, be careful of not eating too many raw or cooling foods, like eating heaps of salad, eating heaps of like raw vegetation. That can all be kind of hard to digest and those fibers will ferment in the small intestine. We're always told this hollow hoax that meat, you know, meat's rotting in your intestine, you know, all this type of stuff. It's actually those fermentable fibers from, you know, these, this raw vegetation. That's why someone like Ogenes van der Planets would recommend that people only eat vegetables that were juiced on the regular and do more like, you know, do a salad like once a month or something like that. And of course, you know, most of us probably grew up thinking like a salad was the pinnacle of health, right? I mean, actually, I didn't. In macrobiotics, I actually don't really recommend salads unless it's like really, really hot out. But and it's usually a pressed salad where it's like actually like made in a brine. It's kind of like a like a light or a quick pickle. So having said that, some of these foods that we traditionally consider quote lighter like all this raw vegetation especially if it's the leafy vegetation can be hard for people to digest not just women but you know humans in general so at this point during the ovulation this is when your energy is going to be the best this is the week when you can really do the most amount of of you know i guess like not super intense exercise depending on who you are if you're super stressed out you know don't do anything super intense because you'll more deplete your ojas, right? But this is a time when you can ramp up and do more exercise, right? And also catch up with friends because this is a more sociable time uh, of your cycle. Maybe do something else to kind of like support your liver. You could do like a castor oil pack, things like that. Then we're moving on to the luteal phase, which is after ovulation and before the next menstrual cycle. Avoid being cold and eating cold foods. Increase magnesium and zinc. Zinc could be had in dark meat chicken, grass-fed meats, oysters, liver. Magnesium from, of course, you know, magnesium spray um, bath, whether it's foot or whole bath, as well as taking a magnesium glycinate supplement. Ginger and cinnamon are both warming herbs that can be utilized in this um, phase. This is when progesterone is now on the scene if you have successfully ovulated. Progesterone helps balance out estrogen, making PMS symptoms less likely to occur. It's also an anti-anxiety hormone that helps us sleep well. Hormones are still elevated right now between days 17 to 28. 
However, it is a sudden drop towards the end of the phase, which triggers menstruation. This is also known as the PMS week for so many women because a lot of them have to deal with a ton of symptoms. Remember that PMS is common but not normal, despite what we have been taught. So this is the time in the cycle, just for men who are listening, when this is when the lady might be a, a bit crabby sometimes, depending on you know how everything went, if the ovulation occurred, was it a strong ovulation, is there estrogen dominance, is there enough progesterone? So this is like the tread lightly phase of the cycle. And when we get to the premenstrual phase, you want to focus more on like just the time right, which is still luteal phase, but that time right before menstruation, gentle movement, emotional expression, taking walks often, and some of the herbs that are good for this premenstrual time would be red raspberry leaf, nettle, turmeric, chaga mushroom, things like that. So this is the time when progesterone is dominating, like we said. Um, you want to make sure you support your blood sugar at this time, perhaps having smaller meals throughout the day will help you if you crave sweets go for something complex and whole like stewed apples with cinnamon maybe a little bit of whipped cream on top a roasted sweet potato um, things like that you know just going for natural sweets i always try to make sweets with either honey or maple syrup maple sugar or fruit based things like that of course they go on to say cacao is a great source of magnesium of course cacao can raise estradiol for some people or make them feel stressed out. Uh, the reason that we do crave chocolate before our periods is because we typically need the magnesium. And I've noticed with myself that when I eat more magnesium-rich foods, I don't really crave chocolate. I actually find the taste of chocolate to be kind of off-putting. Maybe some of you can relate to that too. This could be for guys or gals, either which way, but women especially seem to crave chocolate right before their period. But if you start the magnesium supplementation, you may find that next time you want something sweet, you'd rather have like stewed apples with whipped cream, you know, or something something else and that maybe you feel better without the chocolate. You know, it's totally up to you. You know your body best. So at this point, your energy is kind of winding down a little bit. You want to reduce your intensity. You want to focus on walking, yoga, lower intensity, intensity, strength training with longer rest between the sets. Uh, if you have really bad PMS, you may want to do some type of daily movement to help pelvic stagnation. You could also do things like yoni steaming and um, yoni massage or belly massage. Focus on stress relieving and detoxification activities, like we said, massage, castor oil packs, dry body, body brushing. And stress management is crucial all month long, but especially during this week as high cortisol levels can actually divert nutrients and resources away from progesterone production, making us susceptible to PMS symptoms and fertility challenges. So a little bit there about eating for our cycle and good information for guys and gals, because it's nice for men to know what, when their lady is where she is on her, you know, her cycle. Okay. We have someone here telling us, uh, Bobby, I always stay healthy and never eat too much. I do a lot of exercise at the gym. I do a lot of walking. Chocolate is nice and it's also sweet. Well, that sounds like a pretty healthy lifestyle. And of course, there's a huge variation between chocolate. I mean, there's like there's Hershey's and then there's, you know, a lot uh, healthier type of stuff. But um, anyway, yeah. So a little bit of information there for the guys and the gals about um, moon cycles, you know, or periods, what we call them nowadays. So now I'm going to answer some of the questions that I got from people. Let's see. Okay, so here we go. Here is the first one. 
Um, hey, I have a random question. To support hormones, it's important to eat good foods often. How do you lose weight? I've been off bread and sugar for three months and haven't lost a pound. When I did intermittent fasting, I was super skinny. I just want to lose five pounds. Well, yeah, of course, when we all do fasting, at first we feel really good because we're running off of stress hormones and oftentimes it can suppress some of the digestive symptoms that we've had because we're not eating the foods that inflame us or we're not eating at all. So it can be kind of like, you know, we can romanticize it in retrospect and say, oh, I felt so good back then or my stomach was so flat or I was super skinny or all this type of stuff. But over time, the more we do that, it actually makes it harder just to lose those last five pounds. So my advice for this would be to not so much focus on losing that last five or 10 pounds. I know is hard to hear, especially for the ladies out there. But I would, I would focus more on making sure you're eating the right foods, uh, making sure you're eating enough. What exercises are you doing? Are you maybe eating too much fat and carbohydrates in combination with maybe not enough protein? Those could be some ideas there. Are you very stressed and your body is holding on to body weight? Uh, what's your cycle like? Like, if, what's your hormones like? These are all kind of questions that I would, I would ask. Like, let's say if if uh, we were doing counseling together, I would ask these type of questions to get this type of, of idea of what's going on, as opposed to just wanting to lose five pounds. I would really focus on on those type of things. What are you eating? How often are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you working out? What's your cycle like, etc. But the main thing is, is you might be eating too many lipids and carbohydrates and not enough protein because that can put on on weight. Another question. I'm on my feet 10 hours a day and don't even eat fruit until after dinner. I started eating a lot of healthy dairy fats, which is probably sustaining the weight. Um, here's a totally weird question that you might be able to answer during the next sex show in addition to the question about um, some other stuff. Okay, so this is actually from the same person, these two questions. So maybe I'm thinking with what you say here, you may be eating too much dairy fats, perhaps, uh, and not enough of, of other stuff. Because of course, when we get like the dairy from the farm, even though it's, you know, it's high vitamin and all that type of jazz, it's got all the fat on it, which is where all the, the fat soluble vitamins are in, right? But if someone's eating too much of this, and maybe eating too much of other stuff, that could possibly be a way to gain weight. Also, if we eat dairy cold that can also put on weight so that's something else to possibly think about i know the more western connotation to eat like a glass of milk with a meal kind of like a child in the 1950s is very very different than the ayurvedic context of having milk room temperature or slightly warm with like spices you know on its own or with like other ojas paired foods like maybe you puree a date in there or something like that so it could also depend on how you're eating this. Maybe you're taking in too much of this. So something to think about. Also, you might want to eat your fruit earlier in the day. You might want to start your, your day out with um, fruit. I like to personally have fruit for myself earlier in the day. So here is the other question the person has. Remember hearing the rumor that semen has protein. Is this actually something worth swallowing if you aren't trying to get pregnant? Well, there is a little bit of protein in semen. I don't think it's enough to like, let's say if a vegan person was like, I'm going to get all my protein from semen. Like, I don't really think that that really is, um, you really can't, you really can't get your protein from this. And of course, 
this isn't really a good way to get your protein because who knows what's in the person, right? I mean, it could, it could, it's just like, who knows, like if you're eating like cafo meat. So supposedly the average man ejaculates 3.5 millimeters of semen. I heard it was close to like two teaspoons and that has like 0.17 grams of protein. It also has fructose and a couple of, of other things in it. So you can't really um, say it was a form of food or, or sustenance. So to hit your daily goal of protein, um, no, not even that, to hit, it says semen has a solid amount of zinc, about 3% of your daily intake. So to hit your RDA of, of zinc, you need to swallow 33 times. Okay. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that ingesting this is really going to give you a lot of protein. So they're saying here, the average size man, let's say a guy weighs 190 pounds, they're saying this guy needs 70 grams of protein a day. I think it's a bit a bit low for most men, but let's just go with this anyway. You would need to consume 411, 411 seminal emissions to get 70 grams of protein. That's typically what I recommend for sedentary women. So, you know, that would be from dairy foods, from eggs, from fish, gelatin, collagen, you know, meats, broths, etc. So we really can't say it's a source of, of anything. And of course, if someone's not in good health, I mean, this would definitely not be something that you'd want to be consuming uh, at all. It could actually be deleterious. Like I think someone like Ajna's Fonderplanets would probably say that not, not to consume this or you know the female version of this, especially if someone is toxic, because then we would be taking in all of their toxins, just like if it was in any other one of their bodily fluids. Of course, these bodily fluids are more associated with consumption than let's say, you know, poop or pee, maybe for some people who are really unwell, but I wouldn't really consider this to be like a source of swallowing if it was, it was worth something. If that's something someone wanted to do on their own, their own accord, that's their own, that's their own business. But I wouldn't say, oh yeah, this is a great source of like natural animal based, you know, raw primal vitamins. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. So, although many years ago, I think I think it's still out. I don't know. I mentioned this on a, on an old show on one of the other other networks, but there's this cookbook that actually has recipes for using semen, like you know, making a semen pudding or a semen cake or like a sauce for meat. I think it was kind of like a, I guess I don't know. I guess you'd say it's satirical slightly. This book, but it was a legit book, and people in the comments are like, "Oh, this makes a great gag gift," and like all this type of stuff. But yeah, I don't think this is really like a legit source of, of food. So that's that's um, kind of my um, kind of my belief on on that. So, okay, moving forward. Uh, is anal sex ever healthy and safe? No need for anyone to respond. LOL. Would just be interested in hearing about it in the next show. So as far as I know, there is some information in the Kama Sutra about. Um, anal play, I guess that would be the proper word to use. Is that a Talmudic miasmic onlay? Is that stuff that's mentioned in the Kama Sutra more about giving someone a rectal massage as opposed to stuffing a bowling ball up there, of course, or a bowling pin, maybe a bowling ball for some, how the hell that happens, I don't even know. But it seems now with all the stuff that's being promoted, you know, in, in that milieu of, of rectal pleasure, it seems to be really, really damaging. And also keep in mind that the vagina stretches to accommodate a penis, you know, a finger, whatever. 
and it also has natural lubricate lubrication. The anus doesn't have either of those things. The anus doesn't stretch to accommodate, you know, childbirth, um, a penis, a finger, etc. Nor does it have uh, natural lubrication. So the vagina is is built for, you know, pushing a baby out, which is going to be bigger than, than you know any anyone's penis, obviously. So that part of the body is built for that. Plus, it or it has its own, you know, lubrication fluid. The anus doesn't have those things. So I think a lot of people who are participating in copious amounts of that, I don't think it's very good for digestive health. Now, is this very different than maybe someone getting like um, a massage in that area, like a light massage to kind of open up the pelvic floor? Because that's something that's actually um, been brought to attention as of late with a lot of ladies having all these pelvic, shouldn't use the word pelvic floor, pelvic bowl, excuse me pelvic bowl issues. Keep in mind that the pelvic bowl or those muscles kind of float in that section of the body and like the womb or the uterus kind of floats within it like it's a cup or a bowl rather, hence pelvic bowl, not pelvic floor. So perhaps doing some light work, some light rectal work, just like you would do some yoni massage could really kind of open up that area and help release trauma. Now this is totally and completely different than what a lot of people are doing these days with these, you know, these giant toys. And of course, these toys are made from really unhealthy things. Like there's a lot of like phthalates and BPA in those toys. So these are endocrine disruptors. All those lubes are very gnarly. And the whole idea that a lot of these people's lifestyles or death styles are built around this is also rather unhealthy. And I think that there's there's no coincidence, or maybe it's a coincidence, that we see so many digestive problems these days. Of course, the diet, I think, is to blame, and the fact that there's so many emotional conflicts, indigestible morsel conflicts, etc. But I think that there's a correlation between this kind of um, pro-anal, like, sex toy industry, as well as people having a lot of digestive of issues, because, I mean, you could you could hurt yourself. I mean, you can get hurt by doing this type of stuff. Remember, there's there's no natural lubrication and it's not designed to stretch. So I think in general, it's probably something that really isn't good for people to be doing. But then, of course, we're talking on the other paradigm of releasing trauma with maybe like a, a light massage in that area. That's totally different than shoving some huge thing up there all the way up there. So I think we have to really see it in more of an ancient context that Perhaps some of these sexual practices were to kind of help us feel more embodied, to help us feel like we could release maybe some pain or some some pent up something. And now it's being correlated into like these people who were just, I don't know, like just into like, like there's actually a, a genre. This is very disgusting. There's a genre of pornography called rosebudding, which is just women who's um, who have rectal prolapse. So that's not healthy and safe. Obviously, I mean, when someone's dealing with prolapse, and I was actually working on a post about this, speaking more about bladder or uterine prolapse, this is probably something no one wants to Google, just like seeing a stage four perineal tear post-birth. But this is when the actual cervix, that thing, like if a man has ever reached his hand inside of a woman or you've done it yourself, it's that little thing you can kind of like feel like hanging down from the vagina. That's the neck of the uterus. It's called the cervix. That will prolapse out when the muscle tone is like wrecked and when a person needs a terrible diet and there's all these conflicts. So that's what happens to these women's um, digestive tracts. And this is somehow a genre of pornography. So I think in general... It's not healthy and safe, um, and it's promoted because they want us to be ill. So that's kind of that's kind of my take 
on it. Let's see if there's any things in the comments. Okay. Someone, someone put the, uh, the vomit emoji. It was very appropriate. <laughs> so yeah, I think oftentimes like they want us to be like, oh, you know, you want to do all this naughty stuff, you know, stick this up your butt, you know, do this. Like you really don't need to do all that stuff if you have a good kind of central rapport going with somebody. I think all these bells and whistles oftentimes that they try to add to sex and they try to also, you've probably seen these articles, you you know, lis listeners have seen these articles about, oh, homosexuals are so much better in bed than straight people. Like, is that really true? Or are they just doing all these bells and whistles thing because they're like not really connected with themselves? And of course, you could be straight and have no connection with yourself either. But I'm just saying it's because someone can you know, break out all these toys and, and do all this like random type of stuff. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a good sexual experience, right? And a good sexual experience is based on connection and enthusiasm. I think that's really two of the most important ingredients to a good sex. And of course, consent, obviously. The next question, how do you help a woman who is in the mood less than twice a week without being over overly sexual? What would be the first step to her diet improvement? So if a woman's not in the mood, it could be, it could be a lot of things. It could be hormonal. Um, it could be that she doesn't feel safe or supported. She doesn't feel sexy. Uh, maybe she's not eating enough. So of course I would recommend that, you know, eating and sleeping enough, like doing the things that are going to promote Ojas, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, making sure she's getting enough protein, making sure she's getting enough fat soluble um, vitamins from eating the animal fats, making sure she's getting easy to digest carbohydrates. Sometimes a woman's not in the mood if she can't go to the bathroom. Um, for men, like they can't really feel the poop inside of them. But as a woman, you could actually feel if there's poop inside of you, which is kind of unpleasant to deal with. So maybe she needs to poop more. Maybe she, like if she can't take a poop, she's probably not going to be in the mood. But yeah, making a lady feel safe and getting rid of the things that could be roadblocks to turning her on. To this, this goes for men too, but it seems that oftentimes... The question is more that women have a problem with this or an issue with this. So making your lady feel sexy and desired, flattering her, right? Um, saying that you notice like her outfit looks nice. It could just be small stuff, right? It depends like what her love language is. Appreciating her, being thoughtful, uh, making her feel special. Of course, this works for guys too. Also working on yourself too. Like if you're having a problem with the with your mate not being in the mood as often as you'd like, work on yourself. And this article that I'm reading from is written for men who have women in their life who aren't necessarily turned on. So maybe the guy needs to kind of step up his game, you know, wear nicer clothing, work out, um, style yourself in a certain way. This could be true for men too, women too, if they have a, a male partner who has less desire, but that seems to be less of an issue. So things like that, um, touch, Touching is really important too. It doesn't necessarily be sexual. It could just be kind of like making someone feel safe. Like when you're out in public, putting your hand on her lower back, put your arm around her when you're sitting together, uh, rest your hand on the inside of her leg when you're watching TV, pull her close to you when you're watching TV so she can rest her head on your lap. You know, just stuff like this. Like when a woman feels like comfortable, she feels desired, I would say. Making eye contact building sexual tension or flirting, things like that. Um, building anticipation. You could do this with texting or telling her, leaving her a note, things like that. And of course, everyone's going to have different things that like turn them on, like depending on what it is, like some ladies like different things, some guys like different things. 
so that's just kind of the ideas that I would say because I mean she could be eating like a really great diet but maybe there's something else that's missing like maybe she just doesn't feel safe or secure right maybe there's like something that's you know blocking why she doesn't feel um you know horny I guess and of course if, if birth control is in the picture that can definitely mess with a woman's libido I know in the past when I was taking that I don't think I I felt as um you know, as turned on as I could have. Um, and I remember when I was taking the pill, this is like, of course, this was years ago, but I couldn't go to the bathroom when I was taking the pill. So if you can imagine, if you can't go to the bathroom, you're probably not going to feel in the mood, right? I mean, it just doesn't really, doesn't really go hand in hand. So any type of birth control can kind of, you know, just basically it's blocking ovulation. And we just learned, we were talking about the menstrual cycle earlier, that that's when women are most turned on. That's when they're going to be the wettest. That's when they're going to look their best. That's going to be when they feel the most confident. They're going to want to have sex because they're fertile, obviously, right? So that makes total sense. Other things that can kind of help if she feels stressed out, cutting down on stimulants, um, like caffeine, cocaine, um, can cause stress. Having better sleep hygiene, yoga, nature walks, talking to someone, maybe not just talking to the partner, but talking to somebody else, improving the diet can really help, getting a massage, identifying possible stressors or emotional conflicts can also help if someone's not in the mood. This can also help if someone's dealing with inorgasmia, which is the inability to have an orgasm. Maybe they're having orgasms very seldom or they're not very strong or it takes them a really long time to like force themselves to have an orgasm. If a woman's feeling taken for granted, a man as well, that could also dampen the libido. Feeling not understood or misunderstood, feeling like um, she or he can't trust you. And this article also says what I was saying earlier, understand your lady's menstrual cycle, understand where she is in her cycle. Does she have any sexual shame? Was she possibly abused, raped, sexually assaulted? That can also, you know, mess with someone's sex drive. Uh, a health issue could mess with someone's sex drive, you know, being overweight, diabetes, being depressed, a neurological dis-ease, taking medicine, antidepressants can also mess with someone's libido, birth control, illegal drugs, alcohol, all these things, antihistamines. So there's a lot of things, uh, not having any body confidence, not feeling comfortable with the other partner. I think a woman really needs to feel comfortable um, to be turned on. With men, I think it's a bit different. See, men are just like ready to go typically, and women need to be like turned on. They need to feel safe. The touch has to feel good. It's to feel like alien or robotic. I think oftentimes women who don't know their own body or fear the consequences of sex, like maybe if they're not on birth control, they fear getting pregnant or something else. They may not want to have sex or not be turned on because they don't really know how their body works or they fear the consequences of sex. So there's a lot that goes into libido and why someone wouldn't be turned on. I mean, it could be it could be so many different issues, but that's just kind of like kind of like a, a little bit of an outline to get to get you going in the right direction. So, OK, moving right along with some other information. I'm going to message my question to you privately. What is your personal view and spiritual view on the matter of how much and how distinctly men and women are affected by different number of pair bonds, both individually and compatibility of someone with much less partners being with someone who has been with many and vice versa? 
how spiritually damaging is either hooking up with those of other races, assuming no children, and how can this be healed if it can? How should it be weighed in a partner's value? On the off chance that someone brought this question to mind, notes it, I don't think they'd be likely to be in our same circles. Okay, so here. Okay, so here's question. This is a good question too. I've touched on this, I think a while back on a different um, show, but now we're partnering later in life. Typically, I mean, it's not the way like, let's say your grandparents or your great grandparents, they could have been each other's first and only sexual partners, you know, especially oftentimes for the female and in those duos, that's typically the way it was, right? So now it's a different world. Um, even people who do kind of, you know, partner and have children earlier, it's very much a different world. I would say from just what I know of like Kundalini yoga and just what I know of anatomy, it does seem like with women, since we have the internal organs and men have the external organs, it can be more affecting or affect, uh, it could affect us more, I'd say like in an energetic way, spiritual way than it can affect men because we do have the internal organs and of course we're the ones that can get pregnant right because we have we have the eggs and we have the uterus and the womb and all that and also i think it's it's also there's something called telegeny the catholic church believes it's probably the only thing i have in common with the catholic church is telegeny and like being anti-birth control but they believe that let's say semen from a man gets inside of a woman they don't end up having a child there is no pregnancy but the semen still gets inside of there the belief of telegeny is that all of that semen from all of the men she's had sex with throughout her life, when she finally does have a child with a man, this child will take on traits of all the biological DNA from the other men that she's had sex with. So if she's race mixed, that child, even though the child she has is going to be with a white man, a child may still have some DNA or some biological traits of like, let's say, other races if, if the woman race mixed, right? So it's a very interesting thing and it's not a, a sexist thing to say that it affects women more because it just it does this is what it is just like women don't have i don't think like um they don't have like how men can work like a corporate job day in and day out yeah i can kill them of course but i think with women we have more we're more sensitive so it can show up and it can harm us more but we also have a fifth vital sign we have a menstrual cycle men don't have that so with us it's easier sometimes to discern what's going on. A guy will just keep on going and going and going until he drops dead, right? And plus women are usually more likely to kind of seek help for these things. So I'd say spiritually speaking about this, there is um, a Kriya in Kundalini. I think it's called Sudarshan Chakra Kriya, C-S-O-D-A-R-S-H-A-N and then Kriya, K-R-I-Y-A. I'll put a note for this uh, in the show when I, when I post it. But this Kriya, Sadarshan Chakra Kriya, is supposed to help clear our arc line. There's an arc line. There's two of them. One, one runs across the nipples and one runs somewhere else, like above for women. And then men have one. So supposedly if you clear your arc line of the sexual experiences you've had in the past, whether they be with just whomever or if it was you know a man from another race, this can supposedly help you clear that. I would also say if someone has you know, had intercourse or a relationship with someone who was of another race, just to forgive yourself, you probably didn't know what you were doing. Maybe you were acting out of some trauma. Maybe you saw someone in your family do it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat myself up and devalue myself about that. Even if you happen to have a child in the past from that, you can't control these things sometimes because we've been so brainwashed as a race, right? And of course you don't want to make that child's life miserable by making them feel less than like we, 
we essentially do what we can do based on what we know what we know when we do it, right? So obviously I wouldn't devalue because that's actually going to make the the conflict go on and create like a hanging healing that they talk about in dramatic new medicine. So I certainly wouldn't devalue. I would just accept what you've done and try to heal it in some way. I think one of the things this, this quote movement does is make people feel like you're the worst person in the world. If you had sex with more than one person, you know, or the worst person in the world, if you ever had sex with someone of a different race, like shit happens. We live in a miasma, like we're completely and totally like, enmeshed in Zog. So these things happen. Like it's, does it make you a horrible person and like a piece of shit and less of a, of a white person? No. And if you're listening to this and you're not white, no, it doesn't. It's just, just, this is, this is the consequence of living under Zog, right? Can you forgive yourself? Can you love yourself enough to move past this? That's the question, right? I think oftentimes a lot of these dissident circles actually create incredible self-devaluation conflicts for people, right? We've got to be pure, right? And this is just the internet. It is not real life, right? This is just metaverse stuff. Going back to the beginning of the show, talking about the whole monkey thing, like you've got to figure out what's good for you, for your life, what works for you. So that would be my advice is to, you know, obviously not to repeat the, you know, the actions of miscegenation, not to repeat the actions of, you know, casual sex, but to, to realize that, you know, everyone's done something in their life that maybe they're not too proud of, but don't self-devalue yourself over it because then you're just going to make yourself sick, you know, which is quote healing, quote adaptation. And it's going to take you longer to kind of go through this whole emotional conflict. So that would be my, my advice is just to, you know, to live a good life and to realize that we've all done things that maybe we wouldn't currently be doing, right? little bit there. Okay. A little bit more where something is someone is saying greetings, everyone. Hi, cool. Yeah, greetings. Hello. Okay, moving on with some more information, more questions. Someone wrote, I'm open to learning, but aren't the Vedic mostly Indo-European pro semen retention? Do you think today's time necessitates a change since we are often taking many decades longer to fulfill these desires of the life partner? I would say I kind of answered that more in the beginning of this broadcast when I was talking about the Vedic channel and semen retention. I think things are different today with everything, not just with sex, but also with, you know, diet and a lot of stuff. And like, like I was saying earlier, I think Maybe some of the things that we may think are full and full, full and through European, we may have to take a closer look at it. Not to say that we should be, you know, cranking off or having sex like 10 times a day. Like, no, of course not. Like, there's a healthy balance to everything. And of course, if someone's trying to have a child, of course, they're going to want to have, have, you know, a, a, an orgasm that, you know, accompanies, you know, seminal release. Can you have an orgasm without seminal release? Yeah, I don't know what that's like because I'm I'm a woman, but but of course of course it's a thing. But is this what our ancestors did? We have to look into it more. But just from what I kind of can gather from how the diet of a lot of these Indo-European traditions, like let's say the diet with Ayurveda, for example, has been such a such a wonky thing. I think it's very different, and I think also too when we're talking about. Um, you know, releasing, like releasing semen. Are these men who are doing this, are they doing it? Are they getting a cheap thrill if you're looking at like some nasty porn? Or are they like giving themselves a solo Tantra massage? Like, which is it? Are they in front of their computer just like looking to get off as quickly as possible? Or are they doing something in more of a body honoring way, right? That's the thing too. We have to understand how are we doing it? Like a lot of people, if they're 
not in a relationship and they're masturbating, they're probably not masturbating in the way they would like when they're having sex. Or they're trying to make it into like this, you know, this thing, this act. It's probably more just like, I've got to do this, like take a poop. And that's that's not really how it's supposed to be, right? Someone else expands on this question by saying, I was just about to comment on the same thing. I understand that the act of transmuting the sexual energy is the greatest form of love and connection we have to the divine. Lower dimensional entities feed off of sexual energy. I think they definitely feed off of the energy that people bring to pornography. Uh, I think that's a huge reason why pornography is actually like this, this humongous beast that it is, is because that the Skeksis system feeds off, feeds off of the, the energy that people kind of like sacrifice their semen to that pornographic entity, right? It's why everything is over-sexualized. Abstinence starves them and it severs their ability to control you. But I also think on, see, that's playing both sides. Like, do we want to, you know, be cranking off 10 times a day? No. Do we want to like completely like go abstinent and never do that? I think we have to find our healthy balance. Because if you're having a healthy sexual relationship with someone who you care about and you happen to release do you think the entities are feeding off of your energy? I would say not. If you're having this experience in this container with one other person where you're in control of it, they're in control of it, you're enjoying your you're enjoying your intertwined energy with that other person and creating like a third energy. I don't think that they're feeding off of that. I think they feed off of like one night stands. I think they feed off of like people jerking off to pornography like pride parades, like they feed off of shit like this. They're not feeding off of like a consensual, you know, deep sexual expressive union, which maybe not everybody has, but I think that they feed off of the things they can feed off. Remember, they they love low vibe energy, whether it's coming from people talking about something that they want them to talk about, whether it comes from the results of pornography, they love low vibe things, right? They, they're bottom feeders, they're bottom dwellers, essentially. So those were all the questions that we had. Good questions. Thank you to everyone who asked the questions. I always appreciate uh, going through the questions, and I know you guys do too. Let's see if we have any more. Not too many other questions. Okay, if anyone else has another question they feel like they want to ask in the chat, they're more than welcome to do so. Okay. And I think I have one more topic that I wanted to talk about. And this kind of works into women being turned on. I want to talk a little bit about um, vaginal dryness, actually, and how we can kind of uh, quell that. And that, of course, could be from many things. It could be from stress. It could be from hormones. It could be from just not being turned on with the partner that you have. Like sometimes a woman will think, or a guy too, that, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And nothing's wrong with you. You're just not with the right person that turns you on, right? So vaginal dryness can be the result of chronic dehydration, chronic delipidation, lack of fats. It could be due to high pitta or high vata. We talked about the doshas on one of the last shows. It could be caused by low thyroid anxiety or PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So what are some things we can do to combat this? Uh, coconut oil and ghee are really good from the lipid perspective. Saffron is a good spice for it. Bone marrow is actually really good, or just like, you know, animal fats in general. Peaches is actually a good fruit. This is all Ayurvedic, by the way. Uh, the herb Shatavati, we talked about that earlier, especially in uh, ghee. It's really good like that. Um, oats, what they call, what do they call that again? Oat straw or a milky seed of oats. That's also a nervine like Shatavati, so that could help too. 
So a lot of these issues sometimes aren't just food related. They could be stress related too, right? And of course, even if someone's got a great diet, they have an underlying stress thing that can mess with, with literally everything. So also to keep one's vagina nice and healthy and, and moist, avoid foods that are too vata, which may aggravate dryness, dry foods in general, maybe foods that are too light, foods that are too cold, foods that are too astringent or too, too drying. So a lot of different things to think about. Eating foods that are like more unctuous, more sweet, um, more rich can help with this. Uh, what else can help? Minerals in general, being well mineralized, getting enough protein and fats, feeling connected to your body. Uh, royal jelly is a good food for this too. Anything that will rebuild the fluids in the body will really be helpful. Anything that's nutritive, anything that's a nervine, we mentioned the oat straw as well as the, um, the shatavati. And also I believe that reishi mushroom is a nervine as well. So that's something else that you can think about. So many, many ways to kind of like look, look into this, right? You've got to see it from so many different perspectives because it's not just like one thing. Like when you go to Dr. Z, it's one thing. It's more than, than one thing. But I think besides doing all the food and the herbs, really feeling connected to oneself and not kind of getting into this mode where we feel like we can't be sexual for whatever reason, like maybe we're, we're too old, there's been trauma, we're just not in the mood. Well, why isn't someone in the mood? We have to figure that out in the first place. And then not going in the opposite direction of what Zog wants and they want you to just be like this, essentially a degenerate, right? We want to be sexually regenerative to build the Ojas. We don't want to be a sexual degenerate, which is essentially what, what Big Z promotes for us to be. Remember, everything they promote is out there to kind of steal the ojas, you know, steal the energy, do all of that stuff. Uh, it's all metaverse. Don't don't give it lip service. You know, create your own reality, create your own sexual vitality. And we live in an age where the zogbots amongst us associate quote boosting with a subcutaneous injection of cells from other races and species. That's a way of creating health for a lot of people. Nothing could be further from the truth. Boosting our sexual creative vitality is essential essential for optimizing our life force. A healthy sex drive equals powerful life force, and who doesn't desire that? Libido isn't just about getting off. It's about cultivating your power and living life on your terms, right? So it's not just about, oh, God, I got to get off. Like, okay, that's that's pretty, that's base. But I mean, it's it's more than that. It's about using your desire to kind of activate you, to kind of pull you in the creative way that you want to. That's why oftentimes when people don't have sex, whether it's by choice or not, typically when it's more like a, a choice, they end up going into like these more creative modes of things because they're not putting their energy into like the production or the procurement of, of sex or relationships. So they get into more of the creative thing, but that energy, regardless of how it's manifesting, it's a creative energy, right? So if we're not having libido, we may not actually feel very creative, right? So even if we're not using that libido for traditional activity like sexuality, we still want to have it there as like a juice for creativity, if that if that makes sense to everybody. Epiphany is saying, when your partner is gone 300 days a year for work, how do you bring back the Bilo when you're shut down most of the time? See, that's a that's a difficult issue, especially having a mate that's on the road. I guess connecting when you can with the mate when he's he's there, maybe sending messages that kind of keep like that flirting energy alive. I mean, I don't have a mate who's gone that many days a year for work. Um, I'm sure it might be a different situation for me if I, 
if I did, but I guess there's a way that, that you could always connect. Even if someone isn't around you most of the time, there's got to be a way that you can connect with them in a certain way. Like I said, maybe sending messages to one another or when you do connect with them, plan on something special happening. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a hard situation. Um, it's almost kind of like having a long distance relationship essentially, right? But that's that's kind of the advice that I would just work on, you know, just trying to cultivate some of that energy together with each other, even if most of the year you don't see the person because they're they're doing the job. I hope I hope that helps. So we're almost out of time for the show. I just want to end the show with a little quote from this book, this Philip K. Dick book called Vallis. I have not read the book, but I found this quote the other day and I thought it was kind of groovy. Vallis is a 1981 sci-fi novel by Philip K. Dick. It's one of the books of a three-part series. The title is an acronym for Vast Active Living Intelligence System, Dick's Gnostic Version of God. So here's the line. There is no route out of the maze. The maze shifts as you move through it because it is alive. And I think we should look at our creativity or our sexuality kind of like as a maze. Like it's alive. Like Big Z has tried to pervert and degenerate it or kill it in a lot of us, but we're alive, the earth's alive. And I think one of the best ways to connect your sensorium, you know, to the earth, to yourself is to kind of use sexuality as medicine. This has nothing to do with being perverse or anything like that. They always want us to think it's gotta be perverse or naughty, dirty, kinky, whatever. It's not about that. It's just about creating, creating and cultivating and connecting ourselves to that, that life force that's inside of, of all of us. So I think I will leave it at that for this week's broadcast. Let's see, we got a couple more. Just, okay, people liking the show. Thank you very much. I think we'll leave it at that for this this week's show. I have been your host, Tabitha. This has been Sexuality is Medicine on White Wellness Radio. Be sure to catch all the broadcasts and mini clips over here at White Wellness Radio, as well as following me on all the Telegram channels. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who brought forward the questions. Um, Thank you to everyone in the chat for, you know, all the good chat and all that type of stuff. And we will be connecting again soon on the next broadcast. Satnam.